Welcome to Emerge Everywhere. I'm Jennifer Tesher, journalist turned financial health champion. As founder and CEO of the Financial Health Network, I've spent my career connecting forward-thinking leaders to the growing FinHealth movement. Now I'm sharing these conversations with you. Discover how these visionaries are challenging the status quo and improving financial health for their customers, employees, and communities. Dr. Bashara Shukar is the Chief Health Officer at Kaiser Permanente and one of the most influential voices on the role of social needs in improving people's physical and mental health. Dr. Shukar's upbringing during the Civil War in Beirut, Lebanon, and his early experiences with patients as a family physician opened his eyes to the factors affecting people's health, like hunger and housing insecurity. At Kaiser, he is a force behind a monumental shift to provide patients with access, not just to doctors and medicine, but also to community social services providers. Dr. Shukar Bashara, welcome to Emerge Everywhere. Thank you for having me, Jennifer. Absolutely. I'm going to dive right in because we could talk for several hours. Uh, You've had such a fascinating career and you're doing such important work. Um, In a recent op-ed you wrote, um, you said that financial insecurity is the next great health crisis. Say more. Why is that? Well, look, um, Jennifer, financial security is at the core of nearly everything that drives conditions for health. You know, your finances determine access to health care and insurance. It determines uh, food security, housing security, um, access to education. Beginning in very early childhood, they determine where you can afford to live, the conditions of your housing, how you weather unexpected circumstances or natural disasters in many ways, the way I look at it. Economic opportunity is a super driver of health. It's the upstream issue that has a tremendous effect on every other social factor that influence health outcomes. And why the next great health crisis? I mean, in a way, you could say it's the crisis we're already living. Yes? Well, here's here's how I'd look at it. If we see an increase in financial insecurity then you would expect that we would see more barriers to health outcomes up and down the line. And that's why organizations like us have more and more interest in understanding economic opportunity in every community that we serve. We know that less than a third of Americans are estimated to be financially healthy. Only less than a third. That means 65% of people in this country are stressed out about money and the economy this past year. And this is not an issue that's impacting thousands or even hundreds of thousands of people. This is impacting the majority of people in our country. Um, It's very easy for us as health system to focus downstreams, to focus on the symptoms of poverty, housing insecurity, homelessness, food insecurity, transportation challenges, access to care, healthy behavior, all of those are really important and we have to do that. But there's a real opportunity here to get at the issues that are driving all of those social needs. And that's where focusing on economic security is an important part of thinking about improving health. Mm. 
So you talk a lot about this intersection between physical, mental, and what you often call social health. Um, And you've come to this experience, this understanding through a variety of experiences. You were a family physician. You were the public health commissioner for the city of Chicago, where I live. You were the COVID vaccine coordinator for the Biden administration. And now you're the chief medical officer for Kaiser Permanente. I wonder if you could tell us about some of the seminal experiences you've had across those roles that have helped you think differently about the problems we face and how to address them. Well, Jennifer, let me take you back to one of my patient stories and one particular experience that helped me expand my thinking around health came from um, one of this wonderful, one of the wonderful people I've worked with um, as a family physician practicing as part of a healthcare for the homes program, um, actually back in your neck of the wood in, mm. in Illinois. Um, so I've met Judy. Um, she was in her mid-30s when I met her. She was smart, she was engaging, she was charming. Um, at the same time, she was dealing with mental health issues. She dealt with bipolar disorder. Um, and she was in and out of homelessness for the five years that I've worked with her as her primary care provider. So at sometimes she'll be um excited and and full of hope and energy, and other times she'd be hopeless and depressed. And as her primary care doctor, there were so many things I could work with her on to support her on an individual basis. I could listen to her. I could develop treatment plans with her. um, And I could address all her medical issues. But the system she and I were both working together in was not designed to improve the biggest barrier to her physical and mental health. And that's truly being able to um, maintain and sustain stable housing. Um, When you think about my engagement with Judy, when I think about where I could have contributed the most to support Judy, I feel like I have failed her in being able to support her in finding affordable housing. Um, So when I think about how do we support people in today to and, and how do we support people to help them improve and optimize their health? We have to be thinking about their physical health. We have to be thinking about their mental health, and we have to be thinking about their social health. And that's, I think, um, the important part of expanding how we think about health as health systems across the country is going to be critical. So let's talk a little bit about what Kaiser Permanente is doing. Uh, about that. Uh, You have 12 million members uh, and uh, you sit on both sides of the table, right? You're both the provider and the payer, which makes you unique. Um, How uh, are you in your role there? Um, How is the system thinking about making these broader connections? Well, the way I think about it is we have to start incorporating asking about social health from our members the same way we ask about their physical health, the same way we ask about their mental health. We are an organization that takes care of about 12.6 million members. We um, have been doing, um, we've been providing integrated care for the last now 75 plus years. And we've built a primary care practice. We've built a mental health practice. And now we're in the process of building a social health practice. So what does that mean? 
It means basically when we, it means basically that we engage with our members, we ask them about their social need, and we figure out a way to connect them to those social needs so that they can um, get those social needs met. We surveyed um, 10,000 of our members recently, and three out of five of our members have at least one unmet social need. Mm. Three out of five. And think about the fact that the majority of our members get their insurance coverage through their employer. That means these are folks who are employed, and three out of five have at least one unmet social need. One out of five have three or more unmet social need. So we have the responsibility to build that social health practice with the same rigor that we've built our physical health practice and our mental health practice. And our work really around this area is divided into three big things. One, you're going to have to screen for social need. Two, you have to be able to have networks of providers from community-based organizations that are out in the community that are ready and available to support those members. And two, you have to be able to connect those members um, to the organizations that are available to provide the services. And that three big pillar approach is truly what defines our social health practice. You screen for social need, you build networks of providers that are ready to support people with their social needs, and you create systems to be able to connect those two together. And so I think you're referring to something you call Thrive Local. Am I am I right? Absolutely. And that is the, um, the name for our social health practice. The Thrive Local Network is what we've been working on for the last um, two to three years. Um, I think this is fascinating. I want to I want to dig deeper here uh, for a moment. So how do doctors and other health professionals uh, in the Kaiser system feel about having this extra burden, if you will, this extra thing they've got to do when a patient walks into the office? It's, I'm assuming this is now part of the intake process, this screening that you do for social needs. How, how have you trained your physicians and health professionals and how do they feel about it? Well, there are multiple ways that we can screen members. Absolutely, during your encounter with the healthcare system is one way that we could ask you about your social need and try to connect you to services. And over the last couple of years, we've built standardized tools to screen people that we're trying to disseminate across the system. But there are also some non-standardized tools that are already existing, and we're trying to shift all of those tools to adapt the to adopt the standardized the standardized tool that's an integral part of how we interact with with our members and our providers truly value that this is an important part because they are seeing the impact of social needs on their members not being able to get to the optimal health that they could get to so it's an integral part of how we think about optimizing the health and well-being of our members but make no mistake that screening in the care delivery is only one tool or one venue to allow our members to screen for social need and give them the opportunity to connect for some other members they might not prefer to have that conversation in the exam room for some it's very comfortable for them to go on their own and do a self-screen that's why mm. we built those screening tools in our kp.org app we put them online 
And we've put the resource directory also available online so that our members could refer themselves, could identify their needs and be able to identify the organizations in their community to be able to tap the resources um, that they would need. So thinking about how do you create multi-modes, different modalities for people to be able to screen is really important. And at the same time, you we are doing more proactive outreach. We'll talk a little bit about uh, food insecurity, for example. We know that many of our members are dealing with food insecurity. We know many of our members qualify to are eligible for SNAP, the Supplemental Nutrition uh, Program, and they just don't have it. So we've engaged with those members. We've actually identified about 4 million members that we've proactively reached out to through a texting mechanism. Wow. And we've asked them about social, about their uh, food insecurity. And we've helped nearly 100,000 members complete those applications for food stamps. And, and um what we know is that type of engagement led to more than $35 million of actual cash coming to the pockets of our members so that they can buy food and put at their dinner table. Those $35 million now, they don't have to worry about how to get food to their dinner table. They can use their money to be able to pay the rent. They can use their money to be able to pay the copay for their medication. It's just the right thing to do. And that's the type of engagement that I'm expecting to see more and more from health systems across the country. Mm, that's an incredible story. I mean, what's incredible is not just the success in getting 100,000 people to sign up. It's the fact that you have 12.6 million members and your data sources suggested that as many as 4 million of them might actually qualify. That's a third. That's yeah. stunning. Well, I mean, when we've asked people about food insecurity, I think 30% or so of our members reference that they might be dealing with, with food insecurity. And when you look even at the um, at the breakdown of the members based on that survey that we've completed for 10,000 members, um, you know, the, the social needs are not equal amongst our members. No. We know there is, um, you know, Black members are twice more likely to be dealing with housing insecurity than white members. The Latino members are twice more likely to be dealing with food insecurity than white members. So these types of efforts, they truly lift up the importance of keeping equity at the center of everything you do. Mm. Am I right in understanding that I think health systems are going to have to start doing more of the work that you're already doing? I, I, I've heard that that um, that they're going to have to start asking patients a screener question about whether they can afford to pay their utilities um, as part of a government uh, effort to encourage more focus on social determinants of health. Is this something you're familiar with? I think this discipline of advancing a social health practice is um, becoming more and more of a movement across the country. And I think now we're starting to see regulatory push to standardize this and add it, add it to the part of your care model. We're starting to see some of the um, organizations that do accreditation and design standards that are starting to incorporate that. And I think that's a movement that we're going to continue to see um, to grow. And we'd want to be prepared for that as a health system. And we'd want to be able to support the social services space 
the industry there to be able to support the response to the needs that we're seeing in our communities. Right. And that's where I wanted to go next. When we talk about systems change, especially in healthcare, we've really got to talk about incentives. Um, I, I, I'm assuming that one of the reasons why we're seeing this push and this shift in healthcare is because increasingly insurers are paying doctors not based on how many um, tests they run, but on the actual results. Am I making my patients healthier? So that's really where I wanted to go next, because um, when we talk about systems change, we really have to talk about incentives. Uh, and my sense is, is that one of the reasons why healthcare is moving further in this direction is because um, increasingly doctors are being paid for results uh, in, in terms of their patient's health, as opposed to simply being paid for tests or office visits. Um, you know, in, in the case of Kaiser, you're both the provider and the payer. Uh, and so what I'm curious about is uh, when someone is being referred, if you will, by the doctor for fresh food or they're self-referring from your website uh, and you send someone to a Thrive local partner, who's paying that partner for the work they're doing uh, with your patients on their social health needs? Well, it's important to remember that the social service organizations that are part of our um, social health networks serve communities at large, and it's not just Kaiser Permanente members. So funding comes from multiple sources. It comes from grants, from philanthropic support, from the private sector, or as part of the state and federal programs that already um, that already exist. And and you're right. So much success depends on aligning the right incentives for the organizations providing services, the healthcare providers who are screening for the needs, and the individuals and families who could benefit from resources um, that are available to them. And if you think about an organization like Kaiser Permanente, that alignment process starts with researching what works in improving health outcomes. So for example, there's a lot of buzz right now about um, uh, food as medicine uh, movement and what's the type of work that yeah. we should be funding and supporting when it comes to food security. And one role we believe that we can play as an organization is to help build the evidence and the business case to understand what effective food as medicine interventions need to look like. Uh, we know that we need more evidence to understand what works under what conditions uh, it works so that we can deploy these interventions more, uh, more effectively. That's, for example, is one area that we've committed to. We've committed to, um, to that work as part of our commitment to um, uh, in response to the White House Conference on Hunger, Food, and Nutrition. And we're really supported and excited to support this work moving forward. Hmm. Do you imagine that there could be a time when the federal government, at least for Medicare and Medicaid uh, uh, users, uh, would be willing to start paying for these kinds of social health services, that it would be part of, of the reimbursement process? I, I do believe so. And I think we're starting to see that. We are getting signals from uh, CMS and some of the interventions at CMMI. Um, and then I think we're going to see a lot more of that coming down the line. That's really interesting. So 
as humans in a complex world, we tend to use silos as a way to organize things uh, to to make sense of the world. Um, And a lot of our systems are organized as silos. Certainly that's been true in much of medicine. Uh, And what you're suggesting though, around um, the intersection of physical, mental, and social health uh, really requires a more integrated approach. And it requires a much broader set of actors at the table. It requires working across systems. And so that's a really tall order. It's a big deal for a company, an organization the size of Kaiser Permanente to do it on its own. What do we need to do to change it systemically? So this is just how healthcare works, period. Who else do you think needs to be at the table? And what other what other roles are needed? Because to your point, the doctor has a very particular role to play and a set of skills, but can't do it all um, herself. We are not there yet. Look, we are an organization that is committed to practicing evidence-based medicine um, and the quality of our care and the outcomes that we track certainly reflect that as we pay close attention to the evolution of evidence in clinical care, we incorporate that into um, our model of care. And social health is no exception. So we are following that same rigor that we've done around quality metrics for physical health and mental health into our social health. There are still many evidence gaps about what work best in delivering care to people with social need, as well as about screening. And that's why for those very specific reasons is why we're engaging um, our research centers to help us address some of the key questions we need to know. And I think, Jennifer, we have to get back to that rigor of evaluating what works, what doesn't work, so we can design interventions that make a difference in people's life. Um, We've been funding a network of translational researchers who are using the research capabilities to help evaluate and test new um, social health interventions. We evaluate every social health initiative we undertake with our members to better understand how do we scale it and to build out the evidence base to see if what types of these new initiatives work and what kind of impact they have on health and well-being. And as we test and scale um, our social health practice across the organization, not only we are supporting uh, our members, but also we're increasing the knowledge to the um, about these important topics to the industry and to the discipline and building that discipline. And that's, I think, is, is really important. We have to bring that rigor to the work. Yeah, that's that's really exciting to be on that part of the journey because certainly we know that having healthy food to eat in general is a positive factor in someone's um, overall health. Um, but being able to like you know see the thread all the way through um, and understand it at a more uh, granular level um, is an exciting opportunity and will take time. And that's certainly just one of many uh, social uh, health interventions. Uh, but I um, I think it's a really good example, and I'm looking forward to um, to you know learning more as as Kaiser and other researchers uh, around the country do. I want yeah, I I can't mm-hmm. agree with you more, and I love how you're framing it because I've I've always 
push back on people that would always say, well, what's the ROI on your social health interventions that you're doing? I truly believe this is fundamentally the wrong question to ask. Just exactly like you said, making sure that your members have food at their dinner table is the right thing to do. There's no doubt in my mind about that. Now, following the thread all the way to see the impact of that on their health outcomes, total cost of care, their experience with the healthcare system are extremely important. We have to do both, but I don't think we have to tie that work to just simply, if you don't have an ROI, you shouldn't be doing it. So I completely agree with your premise. I'm glad you, I'm glad you said that. Um, because I, I sometimes forget that that's not a given. <laughs> I take it as a given, uh, but I, I forgot for a moment where I was. Um, so thank you for making that point. I, I want to end our conversation uh, coming back to you. Um, you began your career as a family phys- physician, uh, but I wonder what it is you wanted to be when you were a kid growing up in Beirut, Lebanon. Uh, was it a doctor? Uh, was it something else? And what's really inspired the journey that you've been on? Well, thank you for um, ending with this with this question. I um, I grew up in in Beirut um, in the midst of a civil war that took the lives of tens of thousands of people, including friends and family. And um, you know, at that time, growing up, I was more concerned about safety, about making sure that my mom and dad will end up coming back home safely at night, that when we're in school, we're not going to get bombed and Mm -hmm. I'm going to get to play with my sisters and with my friends um, during uh, breaks and when we come back home. Um, So as I um, was growing up, I was privileged to have had two parents who made sure that I stayed focused on education and not join militias and not be part of all the other distractions that was um, happening. And I had the opportunity to go to college and ended up in medical school. And as I started my training, I've started realizing that I'm spending more and more time with my patients talking about their um housing situations, where they're going to get their meal, are they going to have enough money to pay their rent by the end of the month? And and I've realized that this is an important part of who I am and what I was doing. And I got to a point where it was really important that I pay attention to my patients on an individual level. But I started asking myself the questions, well, is there anything else I can do by going more upstream? And are there policies that need to change or systems that need to change or environments that need to change so that we can give people the opportunity to live the lives that they'd want to live without having to deal with these systemic barriers? So it was a journey, I think, for me, Jennifer, that started from being a kid who's trying to worry about safety and mm. and. Uh, surviving the war all the way to figuring out what can I do and what role can I play to create better environments that would allow people to live the lives that they'd want to live. And I feel like I had the privilege to be able to emigrate to this country and do the work that I've been doing. And um, I have to tell you, I probably would have never thought in a million year when I immigrated to this country back in 1997 that I'll uh, be working from the White House and I'll uh, be working on 
vaccinating this country to get us out of the pandemic. And it was the most um, humbling experience you could ever have. And I'm so grateful to have had this opportunity. Mm. Bashara, Dr. Shukare, thank you so much for joining me on Emerge Everywhere. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you, Jennifer, for all the work that um, that you and the Financial Health Network do every single day. This has been Emerge Everywhere, a Financial Health Network production. If you like the show, please help spread the financial health message by leaving a review. And if you have ideas for future guests or thoughts on the show, please click on the link in the show notes to connect with us. See you next time. 